For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello again, friend, and welcome back to Foul Play. In our last episode on the Truck Stop Killer, we delved into the dark and twisted world of Robert Ben Rhodes and the horrifying experiences of some of his victims. Today, we'll dive deeper into the investigation that led to his capture, the chilling evidence that was found, and the impact his crimes had on the lives of those he left behind. In the darkest hours of the morning of April 1st, 1990, a Peterbilt semi-tractor rig caught the attention of Arizona State Trooper Mike Miller as it sat parked off Interstate 10, just outside of Casa Grande. The truck's hazard lights were flashing and Miller couldn't shake the uneasy feeling it gave him. Little did he know, his decision to investigate would set off a series of terrifying events. Approaching the vehicle, Miller peered into the cab, entirely unprepared for the horrors he was about to uncover. As he opened the door, a young, nude woman, shackled and chained to the wall of the sleeper cab, screamed in terror. Her captor, later identified as Robert Ben Rhodes, scrambled to the front of the truck attempting to maintain a facade of calmness. Despite the woman's continued screams, Miller managed to keep his composure, ordering Rhodes out of the truck. Surprisingly, Rhodes complied, and even informed Miller that he had a gun. It was at this point that Miller handcuffed the man, securing him in his patrol car, and radioed for backup. Once other officers arrived, they were able to free the traumatised victim revealing the full extent of her horrifying ordeal. She'd been brutally beaten, with red welts covering her body and sharp objects used to puncture her skin. The terrified woman later explained that Rhodes had picked her up at a truck stop and subjected her to hours of torture at the back of his truck. Meanwhile, Rhodes remained eerily calm, trying to downplay the situation and distance himself from the horrific scene inside his truck. Despite the substantial physical evidence, including the testimony of the terrified victim, Rhodes' persuasive nature made it difficult to believe the truth, that he was a sadistic monster preying on vulnerable women. As the investigation progressed, details emerged of another kidnapping in Houston, in which the victim had managed to escape after weeks of torture at Rhodes' hands. With two victims in two different states, it became clear 
that this was no isolated incident, and the FBI began to piece together the chilling profile of a sexual sadist. Though it's impossible to know the full extent of Rhodes' horrific crimes, the discovery of his torture chamber on wheels is a stark reminder of the darkness lurking beneath the surface. The quick thinking and determination of Officer Mike Miller not only saved a life that night, but also brought a brutal predator to justice, preventing him from harming others ever again. The turning point in the case of Robert Ben Rhodes came on April 1st, when Mike Miller found Rhodes's truck and Rhodes himself in the act. As investigators searched Rhodes's truck, they uncovered a terrifying array of torture devices and restraints, handcuffs, chains, and padlocks adorned the cabin, while a collection of whips, ropes, and gags were stashed away, ready to be used on his next victim. It quickly became apparent that Rhodes had turned his truck into a mobile dungeon, allowing him to commit his heinous acts as he traveled across the country. In an effort to understand the full scope of Rhodes's crimes, investigators began the painstaking process of connecting him to unsolved murders and missing person cases. As they delved into his past, they discovered evidence of his involvement in the Houston Swinger and BDSM scene, as well as a string of failed marriages and a dishonorable discharge from the Marines. As pieces of the puzzle started to fall into place, it became clear that Rhodes had been preying on vulnerable individuals for over a decade. During this investigation, a particular account from Deborah, the killer's wife, came to light. She recounted an unnerving experience she had had during the final trip she took with her husband in his truck. They were travelling westbound on Interstate 10 and stopped at a bustling truck stop in Arizona. As they approached the restaurant entrance, a distressed woman with a baby was looking for a ride. Deborah, moved by the young woman's plight and recalling her own sister's struggles, felt compelled to offer assistance or money. However, before Deborah could act, her husband noticed her intentions. Rose approached Deborah from behind, firmly grasping her shoulders. He slowly turned her to face the desperate woman and whispered in her ear, You see that, Debbie? She's one of those invisible people. At this point, the detectives were desperate to search Rose's house. As a sexual sadist, Rose would likely have kept souvenirs, like journals, photos and other items to relive his twisted fantasies. One of the detectives on the case, Lee, found the apartment rented to Rhodes and peeked inside, revealing the presence of handcuffs, whips, bondage magazines and women's clothing scattered across the floor. The landlord also mentioned that a woman claiming to be Rhodes's wife had visited recently, saying Rhodes instructed her to empty the apartment. With this information, Lee became even more determined to secure a search warrant. To do so, he had to consult with a behavioural sciences expert from the FBI headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, 
who could explain the reasoning behind the warrant to a judge. On April 6th, agents swarmed Rhodes' apartment, while a few others pursued the wife. They confiscated bondage materials, women's clothing, makeup, and numerous white towels, one soaked with blood. The white towels were a signature of Rhodes, as he would place one beneath his victims before subjecting them to his torturous desires. In the apartment, a large poster decorated one wall, an enlarged Santana album cover featuring a lion that upon closer inspection revealed multiple faces in agony. In addition to handcuffs, ropes, and various other tools he used to humiliate these women, Rhodes also relished taking chilling last-moment photographs of his victims. Agents found a collection of Polaroid photos depicting his victims bound, gagged, and suffering unimaginable torment at his hands. Among those photographs was one 14-year-old Regina Walters, her hair cropped short, appearing in various stages of undress, always shackled and handcuffed. Old bruises were seen in the photos, indicating she had been with Rhodes for quite some time. Her expressions ranged from vacant stares to tearful fear. The photographs haunted Lee, who couldn't publicly ask for help identifying the girl, as doing so might violate her rights if she were a willing participant in the sadomasochistic acts. However, Lee's instincts told him she was a victim, and he was determined to find her. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Upon further investigation, Lee learned that Regina's father had received anonymous phone calls at both work and his unlisted home number a month after her disappearance. The caller informed him that he had made some changes to her, including cutting her hair, and that she had been left in a barn loft. When her father asked if she was still alive, the caller disconnected. These calls occurred over two days and were traced to Oklahoma City on the first day and Ennis, Texas on the second. While these calls would forever torment Regina's father, they would also return to Haunt Roads. Nearly a year after the apartment search, Lee overheard Special Agent Mark Young discussing a homicide case in rural Illinois. The victim, a 14-year-old girl named Regina Waters, had been discovered in a barn loft by a farmer planning to demolish the structure. The girl, identified through dental records, was last seen in February 1990 near Houston with her boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones. Photos of Regina Waters, taken from Rhodes' apartment, included a series in which she wore a black dress, oversized black high heels, and a petrified expression. She was forced to pose in front of and inside an old barn. Young and Lee examined the photo album that documented the torture Rhodes inflicted on the young girl, and it was indeed the same location. After connecting Rose to Regina Waters, agents Young and Lee collaborated on the case. They informed Illinois as Rose would need to be tried for Regina's murder in Bond County, where her body was discovered. Mark Young studied the crime scene photos, noting that Walters had been strangled, with wire twisted far more times than necessary to kill her. Her short hair and the forensic report's revelation that her pubic hair had been shaved prior to her death became key elements in identifying her killer. Young was a behavioral expert who understood the difference between modus operandi and signature aspect, or ritual. The M.O. could change over time as the offender gained experience, but the signature aspect, the source of the psychosexual gratification, remained constant. In this case, cutting the victim's hair and shaving their pubic hair fulfilled the killer's twisted needs. Initially, Local authorities suspected Walters' boyfriend, 18-year-old Ricky Lee Jones, of being the killer. However, Young's profiling experience led him to believe the perpetrator was older, possessed more fetishes, and was a traveler. Jones, who had a few minor run-ins with the law, was described as meek by friends. He and Walters were reportedly hitchhiking to Mexico. Jones remains missing, but his family never reported him as such. Tragically, Jones was charged in absentia in Bond County, Illinois, for the murder of the girl he loved, Regina Walters. The detectives managed to find more evidence, including a notebook belonging to Regina Walters. It contained the unlisted phone numbers of her father, mother, 
grandmother, and friends, which explains how Rhodes had been able to call her father. The agents cross-referenced Rhodes' trucking logs with the dates of the traced phone calls. The first call to Regina's father was from a payphone at a truck stop in Oklahoma City on March 16th. Rhodes had refueled his rig at the same truck stop that day. The logs also revealed that Rhodes had been in Enos, Texas that day. The notebook contained a message that read, Ricky is a dead man, along with a crude drawing of a gun and drops of blood. There were also mysterious notes that seemed to indicate directions and other unknown meanings, such as water tank, fun, and hide. Rhodes's wife, Deborah, identified the handwriting in the notebook as her husband's. As more of these Polaroid photos were released to the public over time, more victims came forward, identifying themselves in these haunting photographs. A woman from Thunderchild First Nation stumbled upon one of these photos and recognised herself. 52 at the time of this discovery, Pamela Millican recalled being picked up by Rhodes in his semi-truck when she was just a teenager. Rhodes snapped a picture of her as she boarded the truck, saying that if she robbed him, he had a picture to show the police. He introduced himself as Robert, and the two had chatted on the ride to Brandon, Manitoba. At one point during the trip, he pointed to a sign on the dashboard that read, Cash, grass or ass. No one rides for free. With no money and not being a marijuana user, Pamela understood which option was left. She says they had consensual sex in the back of the truck, after which Millican was dropped off without harm in Winnipeg, Manitoba, at the bus depot. During Rhodes's interrogation, he started revealing chilling details about some of the heinous crimes he had committed while on the road. Investigators listened in horror as he described the extent of abuse and torture he inflicted upon his victims before untimely taking their lives. In his confession, Rhodes admitted to the brutal killings of Patricia Candice Walsh and her husband, Scott Zysowski. He recounted how he had abducted the couple while they were travelling together, initially targeting Patricia. He separated the two, binding and torturing Scott before killing him and disposing of his body in a remote area. He then turned his attention to Patricia, subjecting her to days of unimaginable torment before ending her life and leaving her remains in a different location. Rhodes also confessed to the abduction and murder of Regina Waters, the teenage girl he had kidnapped from a truck stop. He recounted how he had held her captive for weeks, forcing her to endure a nightmare of physical and psychological torture. He described how he had taken photographs of Regina during her captivity, showcasing her fear and degradation. Ultimately, Rhodes strangled Regina to death and discarded her body in an abandoned barn. These horrifying confessions allowed investigators to piece together a clearer picture of the content of Rhodes's depravity and the terror his victims had experienced in their final moments. However, there were some missing person cases that Rhodes didn't speak about or take responsibility for. But he did reveal a pleasure of his 
secret societies, as confirmed by his wife, Deborah. Rhodes was obsessed with secret societies. Deborah brought up the case of Colleen Stan, a 21-year-old hitchhiker abducted in 1977 by two people who tortured her and kept her as their sex slave for seven years, during which time she slept in a box. Eventually, Stan was allowed to walk about unrestrained, but the couple convinced her that a secret society called The Company would locate her and bring her back if she ever tried to escape. According to Deborah, Rhodes was fascinated by how an imaginary secret society was used to keep Stan from running away. The idea seemed plausible. As a genuine sexual sadist, Rhodes would have been intrigued by a form of submission that did not require physical restraints. He admitted to instructing Shana Holtz to, quote, sit there and be a good girl. And Regina Walters was even spotted standing freely outside his truck in a public place in Chicago. His sadism and abuse, it seems, were not limited to the physical or sexual, but also to the psychological. As we reach the conclusion of this chilling episode, it's impossible not to feel a deep sense of unease at the horrors inflicted by Robert Ben Rhodes. His sadistic crimes have left an indelible mark on the lives of his victims and their families. And the thought of what might have happened had Officer Mike Miller not intervened is truly terrifying. We can only hope that the bravery of those who survived and the relentlessness of pursuit of justice by investigators have brought some semblance of closure to the families of those whose lives were stolen. As we prepare for the final episode of this series, the trial and sentencing of Robert Ben Rhodes promises to be a gripping conclusion. Will the full extent of his crimes ever be known? And what dark secrets still lie hidden, waiting to be uncovered? Join us next time as we delve into the courtroom drama and the search for answers that continue to haunt those affected by the truck stop killer. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.